I uh, just ate two eggs and they were probably the last 12 in the store almost and they were still cheap somehow so I'm wondering if I now have the bird flu. back to shooting the breeze this is episode 101 and i'm here in person dolly's here in spirit she's in mexico eating all the shrimp she can get her hands on and maybe even swimming no just kidding she can't swim but maybe stepping into the water and going to the beach visiting family in mexico so pretty cool this is a very special episode because this week i'll be sharing with you some excerpts from my book i published self-published and released 10 copies of back in the early 2000s called Dr. Johnson's Stories from the Jungle. And I did poetry and fake jungle stories from a doctor who um, didn't have a license. So that's the premise a little bit. And there's some like deep thoughts and things in here as well. Um, So please join me for some excerpts of Dr. Johnson's Stories from the Jungle and pretend it's like a uh, audiobook this week uh, with some commentary as well. So here we go. And this is about the author, Dr. Johnson is a world-traveled doctor whose adventures have taken him to over 30 countries spanning five continents. A self-proclaimed practitioner, his life has been filled with struggles and stories that most of us will never experience firsthand. His philosophy is simple. Life's a journey of comical errors and success. In his writing debut, combining stories and poetry, he brings us tales that inspire and entertain as we follow him through the jungles of South America, across the Atlantic Ocean exploring Africa, through the streets of Paris, and many other remote locations. And a disclaimer on the readings of this book. It was written during an era where stereotypes were different than today and other things as well. So you may hear some cancelable phrases. Nothing too risky or risque, but uh, just know that I'm not trying to offend anyone on purpose in any way. So putting that out there early. Just can't, so you can't cancel. You, you can't cancel me. All right, guys, you can't. So without further ado, let's launch into the introduction. And this is a poem called The World is a Jungle. The world is a place of untimely woes, of snatches and snares and terrible foes. And how is one to make it alone amidst all the strife and cares that were shown? The comic companions to everyday things are mishap and misfortune and the tunes that they sing. They say, irony, irony, tis oh but a dream, but goodness will find you, though dark it may seem. Life is a journey we travel beside, those who embrace us, in which we confide. In God that we trust and put all our care, he's sure to be watching and guiding us here. To another great chapter and many good times, I welcome you to this jungle of mine. And what I'm going to probably do is focus on the poetry in this book for this week. Um, I can share the jungle stories at another time when I feel like reading pages and pages um, of information so probably nothing will be offensive in this entire thing because it's really the offensive stuff in the stories so i'll wait for dolly to get back for that one you're welcome dolly so chapter three is called honor and valor and it's a compilation of poems about different uh, subjects one of them being um kind of security guards and my dad was a security guard for years had so many stories about people that he just thought it was a joke of a job but yet he still did it and had to do it and didn't enjoy doing it. So he just, some of the people take it way too seriously. So this is called Officer of the Year. 
a life filled with intrigue, danger, and fear, a plaque with his name at the end of the year. No neighbors to clap or give him regards. He places the plaque by his sympathy cards. Sorry we kicked you and pulled out your hair, wrote Janice and Jimmy, kids from last year. He stops for a minute and looks at his wall. No pictures of family or friendships at all. But inch upon inch, the plaques do extend from the start of the house until it reaches the end. I'm great at my job, he thought to himself. The medals of honor all stacked on the shelf. And day after day, he walks through the school as small children laugh and call him a fool. They were all so clever and cooler than him until a small child had a gun in the gym. He snuck up behind him and lunged for his knees. The gun fell down softly with the greatest of ease. The day after Monday, the newspaper reads, Renicop stifles a water gun scheme. Another poem from that chapter is about my wooden golf driver called Johnny Palmer. That was the brand or the name on it. And this poem is called Ode to Driver Johnny Palmer. And I used to recite this before every golf match in high school. And I know I wasn't a good golfer, but they needed one more person for the team to play in tournaments. So to give you an idea of how good I was then, I even got up to like a 14 on one hole. I hit the ball backwards, dug it into the ground. It was actually quite a laughing matter. So this was a fun one to recite before every round. We'd all put our put our heads together and I would recite this and we'd go out and have a round of golf. It was, it was a blast. So here we go. Ode to driver, Johnny Palmer. Doth thou feelest the pain, O driver, when thou smacketh the ball upon white tee? Doth ball break through the wind or land behind me? Are you ever less rigid with a shaft strong as steel and a head of persimmon? Many balls doth thou kill. Shall we ever be parted? Don't tell if thou hast knows. With a swing of your handle, your true honor doth show. And to those who may mock you, may their drivers all break, and their sand wedges dwindle, while their balls hit the lake. For you are a zenith amongst many woods, and you deserve glory, as any club should. To the tops of the mountains my voice shall now ring, ode to you, Johnny Palmer, who gives balls their wings. And funny enough, I still have that driver today, and I occasionally use it and it sounds so cool the sound of the persimmon head or any kind of wood i guess hitting a golf ball compared to metal it's so cool so if you can invest in some vintage golf clubs you won't regret it you won't hit as well and you got to be really accurate but besides that you're gonna love it for years i've been a musician and i always like uh referencing musical things so i did a poem called rhapsody and f sharp and for those that don't know music, F sharp happens right after F and F flat doesn't exist because it would be E. And if you don't know that, it's A-OK. -okay. But that's just giving you a little music theory there for a moment. So this is Rhapsody in F sharp. As von Hindenfrank shuffled, the banter grew dull. The musician sat waiting, the arena chairs full. He raised his wand, a hush on his lips, like an ignorant child whose mouth never quits. Rose a voice from the bandstand. Let's play in F sharp. But the song's done in C, quipped the girl on the harp. But the snare drum drummer, whose opinion was strong, argued and struggled till the evening grew long. Why does it matter? asked the third chair in strings. No matter the key, you play the same thing. The horn section added, don't like it? Just quit. He yelled, maybe I will, while throwing a fit. And these are real pages turning, so I'm giving you guys the real deal here. He walked off the stage and into despair, knowing that he'd been treated unfair. He decided to start his own symphony, one that played pieces in his favorite key. 
He felt accomplished. He felt relieved. Until the public showed disbelief. It was hard to do shows when nobody came. But Symphony's Obscure was his claim to fame. For one man could die, an impoverished loner, and years later, bestowed with honor. For Johann Brattenjoke, that was the case. He died in 1583, and many still embrace. His songs in F-sharp, as well as G-flat, rejecting the norm for his own format. Unafraid to change, no matter the sound, he started a genre known as underground. For those who love pop, indie, and folk, you owe it all to good old Bratton Yoke. And chapter seven of the book is called Arrows and Hearts. And there's a poem about kind of a distinguished gentleman, maybe a James Bond type without the uh, killing people with guns and things like that. Um, but the dateable, hateable Mr. Evening is the name of this poem. Words are too shallow. Times go to waste. But one thing's for certain. The truth has been faced. The stories of his raging while screaming out loud yet class that he showed when he entered a crowd. His ears were so daunting, much bigger than shoes, and those giant things made the national news. The women all loved him, this was a fact. His features possessed the skill to attract. Because everyone knows it starts with the ears. The bigger they are, the better they hear. He'd take you to dinner, then ask you to dance, then leave with another without your consent. For this, he was hated but loved still the same, for it is hard to get over his fabulous name. Some called him a sinner, some called him a saint. When Mr. Evening came knocking, most women would faint. But one was unshaken, unmoved by his charm, and she seemed to shock him, this curious one. He'd buy her flowers, she'd scoff at his gifts, and when he leaned over, his mouth met her fists. It seemed so peculiar, but could it be true? The night had now fallen. Mr. Evening was through. But just as bizarre as the earlier act, he caught her off guard when he punched her right back. The brawl soon was over, because after a while, the laughter was born and the frowns turned to smiles. Page turn. It seemed rather stupid to fight this sweet thing. It could have ruined a promising fling. So a little bit ago, I said probably there was nothing offensive in this entire podcast uh, this time. However, I'm about to read chapter eight, which is random thoughts of sheer ignorance. And that's why I called it that, because it's just like stupidity and kind of like deep thoughts by Jack Handy, if you remember any of those. So just to recite one of Jack Handy's ones to kick it off, my favorite one of his was, it goes like this. On the other hand, you have different fingers. So it's just real dumb but real great or second one by jack handy i'd like to walk a mile in another man's shoes because then you'd be a mile away from him and you'd have his shoes so that's that's the idea of what this chapter is and this is a quick quick read of you know 10 or 12 deep thoughts so here we go i once heard a man say two nickels makes a dime i was astounded at this man's lunacy he was amongst his peers, so I decided to show him a thing or two. I pulled out two nickels and then a dime and laid them next to each other. I then proceeded to rub the nickels together and push on them as if to turn them into a dime, and nothing happened. Ha! Proved you wrong, you dirty turd, I retorted. That's when I realized the boss was standing right behind me. I'll never forget the day my volunteer work was no longer needed at Heidi's daycare center. Deep thought number two. 
I have just as much hope as any other man, just not as much as some, and much more than others. Deep thought number three. I don't believe it's right to say I hate poor people. The correct way to say it is I hate less fortunate people. Number four. To say that there are too many malls is stupid. Why not say there's too many candy stores? Because then people would do something because everyone's into oral hygiene. Number five. It seems hard to do what you're told when no one's telling you anything. Number six. Remembering vacations brought back warm memories for Stevie, like when he was playing baseball with his cousins and pooped his shorts while making a dash for the toilet. The next one. You know what's great? If you use someone else's name instead of your own when telling a story. Just a thought. Once a girl waved at me and smiled, so I smiled and waved back. And then I looked behind me and realized she was waving to someone else. That's the last time I waved to her. If you're ever pulled over by a cop and you happen to have a balloon in your car, the good thing to do is put it under your wife's dress and tell the officer that your wife is having a baby. If that doesn't work, another good thing to do is to ask to see the officer's identification and license. Although he'll look upset, he's actually glad you asked. I always wonder, why don't people think about what they're saying before they say it? Then I forget what I'm thinking about and just start talking. All right, four more deep thoughts. Here we go. Nancy told me she was sorry, but I didn't believe her until she started crying. She looked a lot sorrier with tears in her eyes. <laughs> that, one's, that one's so terrible. It's like, this is like a, a bad person, but I wrote all these as like just this funny perspective of just like ignorance. So, uh, but wow. Okay. Anyway, one day a philosopher asked me, which is better to love doing good or love doing evil? Looking at him, I laughed obviously to love doing good. Oh, good answer, he shouted and jumped up and down. How about another one? Was he serious? All right, give me another one, easy question, man. A small child once asked me, how come grown-ups are always so angry? I looked him in the face and gave him his answer. Why don't you mind your own business, kid? This seemed to upset him, but I don't think he was justified at being upset by my answer. I've always wondered what it'd be like to go back to the barter system. Instead of using money at the store, I'd catch a neighborhood animal and take its fur into the store, pick up some cereal and milk, and then give them the pelt. So now we're moving into the category of personal finance. And this is about the US dollar. This poem is called The Greatest Depression. Um, and it's funny because this was written so long ago. And it kind of really applies to right now with inflation. So pretty good. And for those of you that don't know what inflation is, look it up. No, just kidding. I'm turning into the character that wrote that book. Here we go. Uh, the Greatest Depression. It's always depressing to think about how our dollar was worth so much more than right now. It's happened before, but not quite the same. For deflation has kept all the prices unchanged. So now we pay double, triple, and more. Oh, I think that was supposed to say inflation, not deflation. Anywho, it's happened before, but not quite the same, for inflation has kept all the prices unchanged. I'm not going to question my, <laughs> question myself on that one. I tried to fix it, but I'm just going to read it how it was. So now we pay double, triple or more, for a plain bar of soap that you'd find at the store. A house or a car, the price seems absurd. 
but put it on credit. Or haven't you heard? You can pay for it monthly or yearly for life. The pressure is now building. It cuts like a knife. You may lose your job in the stock market break, but one thing you'll have is a payment to make. It's a wonderful system for those who have power, for those who have money and build many towers. For most of them have some safety deposits in countries all scattered or in safes in their closets. In case in the future the currency falls, they've got gold and silver to keep their high walls. And for those who trust money of paper and debt, count on money for nothing because that's a safe bet. So this next chapter is chapter nine, and I'm going to read an excerpt from it. And a little intro to this is called The Happy Hunting Ground. Death is a strange thing, and it's called by many different names. Here's some examples. Kicking the bucket, buying the farm, the other side, Davy Jones Locker, and The Happy Hunting Ground. I don't claim to be the authority on death, since I haven't died. But I will say that despite what everyone believes about it, it's still a mystery to all of us. Judging by some of the names, it doesn't sound all that bad. Unless, of course, you're not into owning a farm or hunting for eternity. I'm more of a city guy myself, so neither of those sound appealing. If they had one called swimming in tropical waters or living on your own personal island, then it might sound appealing to me. Come to think of it, I can do that without dying, so I think I'll stick around for a while. So this poem that I wrote is called Bear. It's a sonnet, and a sonnet is like da-dun, 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 da-dun. So that's how the flow of a sonnet goes. I used to do a lot of poetry, and then I quit writing when I got busy in life. But I need to get back to it. It's fun. So I had a dog named Bear. This is a pre-precursor to that story. Um, and he, a neighbor would shoot him with a pellet gun and he ran away from them. Like the kids would kind of torture him. He lived with us and then um, for a few years and then he disappeared one day. So this is kind of about that story. So I'm going to read it and I don't want to spoil the ending. So here we go. To me, this dog was something rather rare. He often put his head on my shoulder. He came to us one day. His name was Bear. I hoped he'd be alive when I was older. His owners used to shoot him with a gun. He lived. His owners used to shoot him with a gun. We loved him and we kept him safe from harm. When I would call, he'd come unto my arms. I loved him like a father loves a son. One day he disappeared and I was scared. Two months went by. I thought he might be dead. He had no food and he was unprepared. He may have found a home, my father said. Dad must be right. I didn't search or seek. I soon found Bear. He lay down in our creek. So that one's a pretty dark one. Um, but my friends and I, like a few weeks after my dog disappeared, we're walking down the driveway and and just walking around because we lived on 20 acres. And they're like, oh, look, a deer skeleton in, in the creek. And we had this little creek that ran down into a, a pond on 20 acres. So we didn't drink the pond water, fortunately. Um, and I was like, oh, wow. And we looked over and I was like, oh. That, that looks like my dog's head and then the long flowing brown hair. He looked like actually a grizzly bear. So I decided to put it into a poem and read it in class. And I love the shock value on that one. And then I have some sad ones about death that I'm not going to read. Um, I'll read you the first two lines. I had a dream that you had died and I cried and cried and cried. That's the start of that one. That's just a real downer. So I'm not going to read that one <laughs> right now. We're moving out of the death zone. 
We all know uh, the classic Christmas, Twas the Night Before Christmas. So I did a twist on that one, and I called it Psych Warden Lewis and the Dancing Midgets. So here we go. Twas the night before Easter, and all through the ward, not a patient was stirring, not even a guard. The patients were strapped by force to their beds, while visions of sweaty midgets danced in their heads. And I with my rifle and Ma with her Uzi were watching for patients who weren't really snoozing. When all of a sudden there arose such a clatter, I dashed to the men's room to empty my bladder. And on my returning, found to my surprise, a circus of midgets in front of my eyes. They danced and they prodded and sung mellow tunes, and Ma and myself just laughed like buffoons. And while we were laughing, those snots stole my key and woke all the patients, setting them free. They stormed to the river and stopped at the fork. They started a city now known as New York. Me and my missus now sit on the hill and wait for some patience. Our patience grows ill. For she is my lady and I am the king and we ruled those wackos till those midgets came. Oh, to have someone to cage and control for I am an ogre with hardly a soul. All of our patients were really quite mad, but those loony rascals were all that we had. To say they're all crazies is surely unkind, for sick in the head is not sick in the mind. The next poem is called Rendezvous Roy, and I think I wrote some poems during this time about, like, I don't know, people being lonely or things like that. This is about a guy who's uh, sitting on his own in nature, hoping to get some friends to join him. So here we go. Rendezvous Roy. I'll meet you there, he shouted with vigor. The girl was attractive with a fairly good figure. She seemed not to notice his speech or his charm, only the boil that sat on his arm. Please meet me there, his words kept on flowing, but nobody knows just where he is going. He runs to the ocean and sits on a cliff. Dangling toes are pushed in the wind. Starting to speak, he shuts his mouth quickly, realizing his are the only ears listening. Boredom soon takes him, and hunger gains hours. The first bite was crunchy, the second one sour. From that day forth, his arm bore a marking. It looked like a bruise, the skin slightly arcing. When he told the tale, some would get sick. Others would cringe and tell him to quit. Older he got, and gray he became. Teeth turning yellow, his arm moldy green. Though he's now dead and down in the soil, long lives his Indian name man who eats boil the next chapter i have in here is called international liaison and there's a story with that but um the poem attached with it is kind of a wacky one here called lord chuggerby and the chinless mrs Renzelfart. so i don't even think i can explain that one we're just going to read it here we go i do say lord chuggerby i fear that you mocketh me this small mark's been on my face since i got my chin replaced pray thee Please do not laugh, though my face is but a half. I was informed I'd be trading in my deformed, chunky, lumpy chin. As I sip this sparkling cider, standing lonely in the corner, I cannot help but wonder, do I bear an odor? I do not need a sign. I can take a hint. Because you're so far away, I really have to squint. That's okay, Lord Chuggerby. Just go on ignoring me. Soon my odor will spread around. I'm sure to bring your party down. 
I used to always joke around with my friend, Brandon Daniels. He's been on the podcast before about, he, he was really into nature and stuff. And I would always joke about, um, you know, it'd be great out here is a big mall and a big parking lot or something like that. Or like a lot of cement, let's bring in some buildings. So this poem is kind of an homage to that thinking, but it's called, I love trees. So there's a little irony to it. The world seems so small to the child holding the rubber ball. As it was thrown to the ground, it made a rubbery sound. It bounced down the sidewalk and rolled down the hill, bounced through Fifth Avenue and onto a grill. The grill contained burgers and sausage of hog. It soon became liquid and turned into smog. From there, it then floated on up to the sky to wage war on the ozone, which keeps us alive. The battle went quickly and soon there had formed another small pinhole polluting our farms with beams of bad sunlight from what we're all told. Those things can cause cancer and ruin our world. But wait just a minute. My thoughts seem undone. For wouldn't we freeze if it weren't for the sun? And how would we have that cool lemonade that comes from the lemons which grow day by day? Tree huggers tell us we're killing the earth, but there are more trees now than we had at its birth. So gas up your chainsaws and gather around. It's time we all started cutting trees down. So that one's a little rough too. All these are a little, I love the, I, I think I'm always about getting a reaction from people. And that's what I was doing with these poems. If, although a bathroom reader, I don't know what kind of reaction I was looking for, but still. So growing up, I got to spend a lot of time with my grandpa and, um, and one of my grandpas, my dad's dad had passed away before I was born, did not get to meet him. He had a heart attack, uh, when I was, when, well, let's see. He had a heart attack, I believe, before I was born. So never got to meet one grandpa. But my mom's dad, I got to hang out with quite a bit. And uh, this story is like, let's just imagine, I guess, if my grandpa lived in the South and had a porch and a rocking chair and stuff like that. And just like a nice summer day. So my grandpa was in California, a little different vibe. But this was just like kind of an homage to my grandpa. Down the road by the beach, we walked by the sea to grandpappy's house, my turtle and me. The grass was waist high as we turned down the drive. I suddenly tripped on a giant beehive. Swarming and swirling, bees whizzed through the air. And I thought to myself, is life ever fair? Like flaming arrows, they shot to the stoop, where Grandpappy was seated, eating pea soup. His rocker was rocking as I approached. An awful feeling silenced my throat. I shouted with courage, watch out for the bees! Since Grandpa's half-deaf, he thought I said cheese. With a quick little snort, a cough and a sneeze, he looked down the drive and he saw all the bees. Clankety-clank, he hopped on the floor. Rushing inside, he slammed the screen door. The bees were distraught and swarmed on the screen till one found a hole and in they careened. As noise breaks the silence, the bees went inside and stung poor Grandpappy. He was barely alive. To the rescue we came, my turtle and me, snapping a towel, I beat back those bees. My turtle was snapping and swallowing whole, those winged little insects, until he was full. Since Grandpa was wounded, I stayed at his home, and brought him his food, since he lived all alone. Since that fatal day, I visit him weekly, he still has those scars, all pink and so puffy. Memories of summer, at his little shack. The tales he told and passed off as fact. I love that small house on the beach by the sea, where I sat many times on Grandpappy's knee. As promised, 
I stuck to poems from the book this week. Um, the last chapter is chapter 13, a, a lucky number in this case, because I don't believe in unlucky, although it's tough to find an elevator in any building with the 13th floor. They just skip it because people are superstitious. So this is chapter 13. It's called Surviving the Jungle, and it's a paragraph, but this kind of sums up the book as well. We've all been conditioned since birth to live for ourselves and watch out for number one. I'm here to tell you that what you've been taught is absolutely right. The jungle is a scary place. There's the jungle in the cities with traffic jams and the secluded jungle in no man's land. We all have our own jungle we're dealing with every day. The point of it all is to have a good time. Do what you want. Leave nothing behind. Sounds good, right? The actual truth is far from that. The best thing is sharing what you have with other people. Service is far more rewarding than living for yourself. Be you, small or great. You can impact someone's life in a positive way. Some believe that their lives aren't important or nobody loves them. I find this hard to believe. Almost everyone has at least one person that cares for them. If you do indeed have no one, ask yourself this question. When was the last time I showed love to someone else? Begin helping other people and you'll see your life change in radical ways. The world can be a scary place, but remember this one final thing. Follow your heart and live for chance and never let fear hold you back. We're all bound to fail, but then we'll succeed. And those who give up are losers indeed. So from this moment on, you know what to do. Follow your dreams. They're waiting for you. And with that, you've reached the end of Dr. Johnson's poems from the jungle. There's more chapters with stories, which I'll get to at another time, as mentioned earlier. Um, and I just want to take a minute this week to say thank you guys so much for listening. It really means the world to us. And the I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we had 54 listeners, which was more than our normal, which is very cool. And someday I'll be listening to this and hopefully the numbers are a lot higher and that seems small, but it's just very cool to know that more people are checking this out. So really appreciate it. And I wanted to honor a few of the people we lost this week very quickly. Jeff Beck, amazing guitarist, all the way back to the Yardbirds era with Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Um, and just watch some interviews with him. And I always like checking out interviews once someone's, well, I like to check out interviews when they're alive as well. But it just means a lot when you can like hear from someone's perspective that you can't hear from anymore. So Jeff Beck was one. Then Lisa Marie Presley a couple days ago uh, from when this recording is done, uh, passed away of cardiac arrest, unfortunately, at 54. Very young. So maybe watch some of her interviews too. You get to know the people behind um, just the celebrity, I guess. And then also just found out this week that Evil Knievel's son, Robbie Knievel, I believe, passed away as well at a young age. I guess 50s is young now to me that I'm in my early 40s. So I'm like, oh, 50, 54 is not that old. So check out their stuff. I don't know much about Robbie Knievel. Evil Knievel was pretty crazy in a good way, like in a way that's not like insane, but doing crazy stunts. His son did that stuff too, but this was like some other incident I, I, I heard. So not to end it on death. I already talked about death in the middle, um, but death reminds us that there's a lot of life to live. So for those of us that are still here, a lot of life and things to do. So get out there and do those things. Thanks for joining me for episode 101 and we'll see you next week. 